Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is Thursday, June 28th, 2012, and this is episode 932 of the Survival Podcast. And frankly, we're going to take a look at the darker side of survivalism today. I'm going to bring on a guy in a moment we'll call Selko, that's what he calls himself online. And uh, he's a survivor of the Balkan Wars, exactly what part of those wars we leave out because he says there's still some bad blood in the area, um, hence the, uh, the not using of the real name or the real location, but just call it the Balkan region. And for those who don't know, that place was hell for a while, and um, I'll bring him on in just a moment. I think you'll be shocked with some of the things that you'll hear. Uh, more on that in a bit. Before I bring on Selco, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, BulkAmmo.com. Hey, look, do you need ammo? Yeah, if you got a gun, you do anyway. A gun without ammo? Overpriced club. Today, you might actually hear from our guest why having like thousands of rounds might be a good idea in certain situations. They're not the most likely, but they do happen. Uh, they happen in recent history. The stuff we're going to talk about today only happened about 20 years ago. That's not long in the timeline of, uh, of humanity. And uh, that would be one specific reason to have lots of ammo. Another reason would be because if you have a gun and you don't train with it, well, it's pretty much useless. Uh, the gun is only as useful as its operator, so you need ammo not just for long-term storage. You need ammo to train with. You're going to buy lots of ammo. You need to buy ammo at a great price. You want to find all the common calibers at a great price with lightning-fast shipping and service. Check out BulkAmmo.com today. Remember, if you're an MSB member, they give you $10 off of orders over $200. Uh, so make sure you check your MSB before you make your orders from Bulk Ammo if you're an MSB member. Next up today, MERS Radio. That's M-U-R-S-Radio.com, M-U-R-S-Radio.com, however you want to uh, phrase it. And the best way to make sure you're dealing with MERS Radio and Bulk Ammo and all our sponsors would be go to our website first. But MERS Radio rocks. MERS Radio is really awesome because... What you have is secondary communications for a range of about one to two miles. And that means for most of us with homesteads, especially larger homesteads, 5, 10, 20, 50 acres, that's going to cover your whole homestead. You can also get motion detectors to add security so that over your, your walkie-talkie or over your base station, you would hear things like alert sector 1, alert sector 2. That allows you to know what's going on out there. Coupled with security cameras, it's really awesome. Uh, but you got to figure out where to get your security cameras from. That's kind of a separate thing. I say that sometimes when people think it's interlocked together. Maybe I should talk to Rob, though, about maybe trying to figure out a really good security camera either to recommend to go with them or to carry. But when it comes to the communication stuff, the MERS stuff is really, really kick-ass. Five frequencies and five sub-frequencies, and they're not used that much. And the cool thing is... They work out of the box. You put them on channel one, channel one is your channel. Uh, they'll also run a scan as well. And change them into the sub-frequencies. If you can read instructions and follow them, very easy. Anybody, even I, can do it. And if you go to like a mid-frequency in channel three, you're, you're going to do uh, a lot to keep your privacy. One, the limited range is useful. And tools. somebody would have to know what you're using and know they're there. So... It's a great kind of midway point between like the family radios that you get like for hunting at the store for 20 bucks and going into full scale stuff like a ham. And again, the security aspect of it is a huge thing and it's part of why I love them. Next up, remember you can check out TSP Copper for some really cool AOCS Copper medallions. 
I also want to remind you guys to call in for episode 1000. I was told yesterday I don't give the number out. I have the number right in front of me. I think I give it out most days I mention this. Don't call the think line. Call this number to be part of episode 1000. 866-691-5353. Again, 866-691-5353. I need your calls. Some of you guys have said, I don't think my story is that great. Your story is better than you realize. It's people at all walks on their way to being more prepared. From the beginner to the person that's been doing this since we started over four years ago, I want to hear from all of you. I want to make episode 1000 awesome. Just absolutely awesome. I put out a post last night where you can get go link to the other two shows we did like this to get some ideas and a feel for what it's like. Uh, last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive discounts uh, available only to members like the one I just mentioned for Bulk Gamma. By the way, MERS Radio, 5% off all purchases. Uh, so most of the sponsors, not all the sponsors, most of the sponsors do something for the MSB. But there's 32 different companies that do discounts for MSB members. It's really, really an awesome program that pays for itself. $150 worth of free ebooks is another thing that you get. Some exclusive content from me available nowhere else. Check it out today. Uh, just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members for more information. And remember, membership's always on sale if you pay by silver. I think silver's trading at like 28 bucks an ounce right now. So if you want to pay by silver, you can use the form on the website. Send in your silver one ounce per year. That's a pretty significant discount because I like getting silver and Getting people to spend, it's kind of difficult. So uh, so I offer a really steep discount on that. Somebody asked me yesterday, what what is the charge in you know constitutional silver, pre-64 coin, $1.50 a year. Uh, that comes out to roughly an ounce of silver when you do the math. So it's one ounce of any 999 bullion or $1.50 in pre-64 coin. Send it on in. We'll set you up. Dorothy will get you up and running on the MSB. All right, with that all wrapped up, I'm ready to bring our guest on today. I want to, again... Um, just kind of give you kind of an, uh, a, a flat-out disclaimer that this is going to be the darker side of things because this is a place where it was warfare. This is not just a breakdown. This isn't like when Fernando came on and talked about the economic collapse in Argentina and there's some people running around doing kidnappings and stuff like this. This was a civil war. This was people killing each other that lived, lived near each other for most of their lives. This was a place where walking down a street was walking into a, a sniper's nest. And people were literally picked off in the early days just because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. This was, uh, this was not what the TV tells you. It was far worse, far more stark, and far more, far more brutal. And uh, it was a tough thing to live through. And the gentleman that's going to join us here now lived through it. So when you hear a lot of people talk about, well, I've been to kind of these dark places as a contractor or in a military service, we can learn a lot from them, and that's why we bring them on. But those people always go in with resources behind them and resources to extract them. Sometimes things go drastically wrong. It's a very dangerous thing. But this gentleman that I'm about to bring on had no extraction. There is no extraction plan. You're there, you're in the middle of it, and you're going to live with it because it's bigger then you have the ability to extract yourself from. That's the thing, the kind of breakdown that we fear the most. So that's, that's what you're going to hear about today. So you're not going to hear a lot of positive messages today. And it's important that once in a while we take a look at how bad things really can get. We do need to stay positive, but we need to you know hope for the best and prepare for the worst. The other thing I'm going to tell you is where this guy was calling from. And again, just we're going to call it the Balkan region because he doesn't want to be too specific about where he's at. 
things are not exactly uh, all the way up to speed with uh, with the, with our area now. If you went there, it looks pretty decent up. Investors are actually buying property in some of these republics now. Uh, people are living there, but there's still some limitations. Uh, he had to contact me through cell phone, and he was very, very quiet on his end. And even with me turning my mic way, way down, I was blowing him out. So I had to really jack up the gain and then level it back down. So my voice got some reverb and stuff in it because it's been peaked up and pulled back down. And his voice has some times where it's a little tinny because I had to peak him so much from where he was at. I did the best I could with the technology at hand. Also, English is not Selco's first language. He's very, very understandable. He has a really good command of the English language. He spe certainly speaks better English than I speak, uh, you know, his language. I don't speak a single word of it, and I speak decent Spanish, and I'd say he speaks way better English than I speak Spanish. Um, I'm just saying that, you know, once in a while a word's a little different, and he asked me, and I tried to comply with speaking much more slowly than normal. So when you listen to my questions and you hear the the tone and the everything keyed down a bit, it's not for dramatic effect or anything. It's just so a person who's not a, a native English speaker can take the questions in. So I wanted to give you guys that much of a disclaimer. And again, this is uh, I I wouldn't say it's graphic in any way. He 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 simply describes what happens. I wouldn't say this is anything you know kids can't listen to or anything like that. But really, little ones probably wouldn't be interested. But this is one that maybe if you usually let your kids to, maybe you listen to it first and decide whether or not they're ready to hear this or not because it is so blunt because it is so true. And I think that's maybe the bigger concern here with some people that are not ready to hear this yet due to age. It's, it's, it's not a story of something that might have happened or a fiction thing. This is a true story. And what he really did to get through it, I think we can learn amazing things from it. His website is Shit Hit the Fan School. And it's actually shtfschool.com. There'll be a link in today's show notes. Uh, and again, he's uh, from the Balkan region, and he says it was simply hell from about 92 to 95. For a whole year, he lived and survived in a city without electricity, fuel, running water, real food distribution, or distribution of any goods of any kind, or any kind of organized law enforcement. So it was bad for quite a few years, but for one particular year, they were absolutely without any support whatsoever and had to make it on their own. It was a stark, hard time that we only heard about in sound bites over here, and he's here to share to us today what it was actually like to live through that. And with that, hey, Selko, welcome to the Survival Podcast, man. Uh, yeah, and thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks. Um, you have a really cool web website that we'll talk about in a bit, but it's based on your experience, and we're not going to be specific to where you actually are, but in the Balkans area. And I think a lot of Americans sort of remember hearing about this, but many of them really just don't know what happened in your part of the world. So before we get into what it was like dealing with it, can you just bring people kind of up to speed on what actually happened there? Uh, yeah, sure. Actually, uh, on one way, it is like complicated, but actually it is not. Uh, there is a lot of uh, similar examples in all the world. So uh, before all started, before the war, It was one uh, one country with multiple uh, states inside that country, some kind of uh, federation, actually. And because of the political changes that took place in the late 80s all over the Europe, uh, that country fell apart. 
and all of those states are uh, become independent, and because it was uh, populated by with mixed religions and and nationalities, uh, war started between them, between between different religions and nationalities. Actually, uh, it's very 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 short explanation, but it can be uh, compared to a lot of other regions in the world. Uh, it all happened suddenly, actually. It all happened suddenly. So when this first hit you personally, like when when you first started to deal with the repercussions, what was that like for you? What was like some of the first things that happened and some of the first things you had to, to deal with personally? Well, in a way, we all, we all think that we're going to recognize that bad things are coming, but in, in real life, I don't know why, but uh, most of us are uh, not prepared for that and happen suddenly. So always, it always going to happen suddenly. That, that's the key word. Uh, whatever you are trying to, to look to prepare for that, it always happens suddenly. My first... Um, some of my first uh, first bad sign for me, uh, bad things for me was uh, when I realized that war is gone. Uh, uh, first, maybe one of the first things that opened my eyes, it was that uh, law enforcement, it's like gone, and it happened over the night. I mean, one day everything was fine. It was normal life, normal town, normal country, city, everything was normal just like any city in Europe, and over the night, the next morning, there is no police. And it, it's simple word, simple simple sentence, there is no police, but if you think about that sentence, there is no police, I mean, a lot of things come from that. So that, that was maybe one of the first signs. And um, when, when, when this all started to happen, like, what were the first things that you had to do without that disappeared? Well... Many things started to, to disappear maybe month or even two months before everything. Um, sounds maybe funny, but you couldn't find a few kinds, a few brands of, for example, chocolates. You couldn't find some brand of cigarettes. And nobody think too much about why you couldn't buy that. Huh. Uh, but first big thing, first big thing uh, that was out uh, and that was bad for me, uh, running water. I mean, running water, that was the uh, first bad thing. Uh, before water, I think the uh, first thing was uh, what was done uh, was electricity. But everybody thought that, okay, it's going to be come back soon. But when water is off, it's bad. And um, when, when, when all of the, the things started breaking down, what I've seen in most situations is that the people that are the least prepared then generally go out and start to prey upon uh, the people who who have anything left. It, it was was that something that very quickly occurred uh, in the Balkan region? Uh, actually, uh, I noticed then, and I think it's going to be same. Whenever it's going to happen again, it's going to be same. Uh, there was like whole army of of people who 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 are just just like waiting for that event. I mean, whole army of people who just uh, waited to something big like that happen to go out and do things. 
because as soon they they realized that uh, this is something that uh, this, this event is something that is not going to last for five days. Uh, I guess uh, they realized that can, that they can do a lot of bad things because it's different uh, when man uh, thinks that something bad is going to finish in, in five days or he thinks something bad is going to finish in few months. So if those kind of folks uh, realize that uh, this, that whole situation is going to last for a month or even years, they just set, uh, set them on, on another level. I mean, they're they becoming really mean. They don't have anything uh, to lose, actually. They're they becoming animals. Yep, animals. That's correct word. So, yeah, uh, pretty soon, uh, pretty soon, a whole bunch of folks were, were outside. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, I can I can make maybe difference between people who are, okay, let me let call them bad, mm-hmm. and, uh, and people who are who just don't have anything in their houses in terms of food, medicine, or whatever, and they need to feed kids. I mean... I don't know. At the end, it all comes to the same. They're going to took stuff from you. You don't care why. They're going to kill and took stuff from you. I, I read some of your, your writing where you said that the only way that a person could get any level of safety was to band together, that even if you were well-armed or whatever, if you were alone, that you were going to be killed or robbed or, or, or something, that you had to have some level of community to have any level of security. Uh, yes. If I if I learned anything from that period, just a few things. Uh, you, you cannot survive alone. No way. I mean, there is, a, there is examples of people who survived alone. Yeah. But it's so rare. You cannot survive alone because of multiple reasons. And first reason is your uh, your own safety and security. Because no matter how many guns you have, how how good security is your house, how many how much food you have stored, at the end you need to go out because because of whatever reason you need to go out, or other people are gonna come to your house. And if you are alone, I mean you just don't have a chance. You need to have you need to have your group. In my case, it was uh, family, and it, in, in most of the other cases in that period, it was uh, families, like group of families band together, and that's it. And it was the only way to survive, yeah, group. No other way. I mean, to survive alone inside the city, I'm talking here about urban, urban scenario, city, no, no way. But before all of that, uh, what I mentioned now, First thing that I learned that in any any case in future, um, I just have to leave the city. You just mm-hmm. need to get time and leave the city and forget about anything else. So, was there still any level of trade or commerce between people? Did did people get together and barter for things? Did was there some some sort of an economy that remained? Yes, of course, so all the time. Uh, but uh, I must say it wasn't like 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 trade that you see in any movie or heard or anything like that. It wasn't uh, based on any kind of organization. I mean, for example, if, if you had I don't know pack of candles and you need whatever you need uh, some cans or something, 
you need to go out to ask for people uh, where you can find some guy who had camps. And again, biggest problem is who are going to ask. So it wasn't uh, there was any there wasn't any kind of organization in that trade. I mean, forget about picture when you have some kind of of small market with good people. So any stuff stuff no. No, no way, because as soon as you're going to start something like that, people are going to rob you, in my, in my case. So nothing, nothing organized. So, I mean, even if you have food, you, you've got to keep it from going bad. You've got to cook it. And if the power's out and you're in the middle of basically a war zone, what, what steps did you guys take to, to be able to prepare your food when, you know, of what you could get anyway? I mean, it was pretty, uh, pretty much on uh, low level, like rudimentary stuff. For example, uh, we just uh, uh, make hole in in one wall and put that uh, exhaust pipe from the uh, from the stove, and then uh-huh. where, where we cook food. I mean, sometimes we uh, cook outside in, in in our small yard. It was rudimentary stuff. Most of the time, uh, we eat uh, stuff. That, that, that is actually grass. I mean, in today's terms, it's just grass. But we mostly connected with, with, with pieces, with, with small amounts of, of, of floor. So, wheat. Also, uh, I mean, when you look from this position today, it was very bad. And then, it, very, very, uh, so, so little, so bad, prepared, so badly prepared. We wasn't prepared. We were not prepared at that time. The, uh, so I guess wood became probably something at a premium then. Yeah, and in city, especially after a few months in city, it was uh, it was a matter of, I guess, luck and your uh, and your brain to find the wood, because pretty soon all all, all trees are were cut down, and after that people started to just make fire of, uh, with whatever kind of wood they have. So. Wood frame, wood frame for doors, part ceilings, or how do what's the name for that? Whatever is wooden uh, was burned. Uh, first, you look in other houses, ruined houses, uh, abandoned houses, and at the end, I burned a lot of wooden stuff from my house. Actually, most of the stuff from my house I burned that were from the wood, because even if if I had some kind of tree somewhere inside the city or some hill. It was too dangerous to go over there. It was easier and less dangerous to to to, to burn some wooden stuff in my house because uh, pretty soon, very very uh, soon after that everything started, people just realized that some stuff just do, uh, do not have any any value at all. So if you're talking about any kind of I don't know TV stereo or whatever. It's becoming junk. It's just junk. No value. Yeah, what good's a TV if you can't plug it in, right? So if it's got some wood on it, it becomes firewood. Yeah, sure. Pretty soon people realize that uh, it doesn't matter what kind of stereo and TV and whatever electrical we have in house. In house, it's uh, uh, much more important to do you know how to make a bag, for example, or how to how to sew pants or whatever, something like that. So it it seems like there were a lot of people armed, and 
What was it like as far as trying to procure a firearm in your area before things went bad? I mean, because a lot of countries it's hard to own a gun. Was, was that the case there? And then what was it like trying to arm yourself if you were unarmed a- after the shit at the fan there? Well, of course, uh, before everything started in that, I call it, old state, uh, it was hard to get the weapon, I mean, legally to get weapon, it's hard because of all kind of law regulation and things like that. That was one reason. Another reason, I think, and as far as I can remember, actually, very, very few people wanted to have gun because security was pretty, pretty good at that time. So there is not too much reason to have guns before. Uh, after everything started in, in, I think in first maybe, maybe 15 or 20 days of, of all confusion, it was pretty much easy to get the gun if you have, uh, if you have enough brain or, car- or, or courage maybe to, to go out and look for the gun. Because in, in, uh, beginning, uh, two or three weeks of that chaos, a lot of the, lot of the storages, uh, military storages, police station, everything that are abandoned, crushed. I mean, you can easily go in that first, uh, First days, you can easily go inside the military storage and look for whatever you want if, if uh, somebody else didn't took it already. So yeah, in first weeks, yeah, you can have enough enough courage to easily find the gun. And even later, I mean, you can easily find the gun if you if you have something interesting to trade. I mean, it wasn't it was not a situation like when when all kind of weapons were lying lying on the street on the street. No, not not like that. But yeah, if you have food or anything interesting, you could trade it for a gun. Did, did, at any time, did ammunition become kind of a barter tool? I mean, there's a lot of people here that think in that type of a scenario that, that you know, if everybody's got a gun, ammo has value, it's storable. So was it a barter tool, to just just ammo? Yep. Uh, it was very, very uh, uh, usual to, to barter uh, ammunition. And in, in this my case, it was... On, on some way easy because uh, I guess politics and whatever before we here we have eastern manufact we had eastern manufacturers of weapon and it was maybe four or five types of, of weapon with two or three types of ammunition so it, mm. it was not so it, it wasn't uh, was not a problem I mean you could rarely see some kind of uh, should I call it exotic type of gun I mean it was a couple of types of, of rifles and guns and that's it so uh, whenever some, somebody uh, asked me okay what do you think what kind of gun I'm going uh, I'm going to need is something if everything collapses going to collapse the easiest and best answer is uh, whatever ammunition and weapon is, is, is usual in your area just get that weapon no matter how, how bad or good is what it is just get that weapon because you're going to need a lot of auto ammunition parts, whatever, you need to, to have available ammunition everywhere. What were some of the other things that were common barter implements? What were like the most valuable things you could have when it came to trading for things you needed? Well, I can say that uh, stuff that, that uh, in a way, yes, that gets people addicted to uh, popular so cigarettes, alcohol, because you can uh, you can trade that always with uh, with, with, any, with anybody in that time. It was almost like some some kind of second value. 
second money in that time. So cigarettes, alcohol, coffee, and uh, small stuff. I mean, of course, uh, valuable, but it was much easier to trade, I don't know, five or six uh, small items to carry that in your pocket and talk to somebody than to, uh, than to carry a big canister of fuel. So small things, small usable things like batteries, uh, lighters, candles, flint for lighters, stuff like that. Small, small things. Now, a lot of people here feel like, well, if, if things ever really, really break down, that the cities are going to be the worst place to be. And their plan is, you know, to, to bug out, to get out of the highly populated areas. Was there any place that was significantly safer than the cities? Because the one thing is you do have less population, but it's easier to, to steal and rob when there's less, there's, you know, some strength in numbers thing going on there. And then the other thing is there's generally, even in a catastrophe, there's more resources in a city. So what was it like for people that, you know, kind of got out of, of Dodge, so to speak? Were there any safe havens at all? In my case, in that time, it was much better at the uh, countryside or rural places, or if you call it like that. Um, I can say that uh, th- that kind, those kinds of places, like very very small villages, I think they're not so uh, wasn't so interesting for for whoever wants to rob them, and that's one reason. And uh, other reason is uh, people were, were much, much more and much better organized in those small places, especially here, because here uh, villages are, uh, in 90% of villages here in this region are, are like uh, relatives, I mean, blood connected people inside villages. So it's, much, it's way too much easier to, uh, way much easier to, to organize like 200 or 300 folks that there are relatives, relatives between them, then to organize, I don't know, one street inside the town, because uh, when that started, everybody was enemy inside the town, except people inside your small group, inside your house. Everybody else, your first neighbor, you didn't know what to think about them, about him, because you don't know what he had inside his, inside his house, and his son is hungry, or he, is he going to, to rob you or whatever? Cities, I don't know, like that truck. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about like I, I would imagine that the you know medical system, hospitals, things like that, just kind of fell apart. So, you know, what were what was it like for people that were injured or sick, and and how did you try to deal with that? Well, uh, you can say that. Uh, um, medical system and uh, fall down to, to dark ages in those times. I mean, a hospital worked very, very uh, short time after everything happens. Uh, and as, uh, very soon, hospital just collapsed, or the whole medical system, system just collapsed. I mean, there used to be some, uh, some kind of, of like, um, for example, you could hear in that time that there is some kind of medical station in other parts of town, and you could go over there and see that there is nothing over there, or you could find over there some kind of veterinary guy who is going to treat you what, whatever you had need to be treated for, for uh, for few cans of food or something like that. Uh, medical systems uh, fell down to middle ages and to to I can say uh, old grannies 
and herbs and stuff like that. I mean, uh, even uh, even uh, when people had uh, knowledge uh, about medicine, without any kind of supply, you could, you, you could do so so little. Small cut can can kill you if you don't have antibiotics. So it was gone. Medical system was gone. After after living through all this, if you saw the signs of something like this happening again, or I imagine you just you stay prepared now. If someone had three months, six months to try to get prepared for a really bad situation, what are the main things you would tell them to do to be prepared? Well, first, uh, based on my experience, uh, you need to go out of the of the town and to have some kind of uh, yeah to have bug out location in some kind of village or rural place and uh, you cannot survive alone you need to have uh, that place on in that place you need to have your group your family or whatever you need to have a group of people 10 15 people at least something like that and uh, you can uh, no matter how much food how much medical supplies, how much water or whatever you have. Uh, sooner or later, you are going to waste all of that. You are going to eat all of that. And then you need to go out and look for that. So uh, uh, if you have 10 or 15 people in your group, just uh, share no knowledge between members. I mean, uh, it is good to know a lot of small stuff, but everybody of you inside that group need to be some kind of expert for something. So in my case, in my group, uh, uh, we have I have people uh, I have a man who is an expert for doing stuff uh, uh, on ground on field. I mean, with plants and stuff like that. Food. Uh, we have expert for medicine, expert for weapons, expert for everything that needs to be needs to be learned in that time. I mean, it is good that every man knows uh, how to shoot, how to treat wound, how to. I mean, lot of simple stuff but you need to have experts inside that group. What, obviously, there was a lot of death, and I think that one thing that a lot of people in the civilized world take for granted is that when you die, somebody prepares the body or cremates the body, and then there's a burial. Um, that would probably be a pretty low priority for normal funeral services when the city's in a state of war within its own, you know, borders. So, you know, death has many problems because it can spread disease and just the overall sanitation. Also, how do you, did society deal with the dead in that scenario? Uh, I mean. Uh to die, to be shot, to be hugged, I mean, to be gone in that time, uh, it becomes something like everyday thing. And to smell stench of the death in that time, it was everyday thing too. So, uh, when, when you're talking about diseases, I mean, uh, I can say, I can be 99% sure that uh, everybody, in that region, in that time, suffered uh, some kind of disease related to to, uh, to to poor hygiene and everything this, because every member of my group, everybody have uh, some kind of, in some in, in some uh, in some time in that period had some uh, 
diarrhea, like 15 days or 20 days of, of diarrhea or vomiting. But in that time, I mean, you couldn't do anything. You couldn't say, okay, this is a disease that's spreading with, with, with rats. You just had diarrhea for a day, and that's it. There is, there are a lot of, or way too much important stuff to, to think about then, than about that diarrhea. But yes, uh, answer to that question, uh, that poor hygiene things kill a lot of people. And dealing with that people, I mean, if, if, if somebody had a uh, death inside his house, I mean, some of, uh, some of his group, some member from his group died or, or get killed or whatever, he could just bury that, that man at, at closest place to, to his house, I mean, safest place, very close to house, to some kind of park or garden or whatever. And then a lot of guys just, I don't know how to put this, a lot of guys just died and stay on the streets or inside ruined houses for weeks or months. So you can imagine the stench. It was pretty, pretty bad. When, when you were dealing with people looking for help, for barter, what have you, I mean, obviously you have your own group, but like you've said many times now, it ends up where you need to deal with other people. How were you able to identify who was, you know, a friend and who was an enemy? How, like, was it like a network, like this guy knows this guy, so you know his group's okay? Were there alliances like that? How did you manage that? Because it seems to me that it would be really easy for somebody to say, yeah, we want, you know, to, to barter with you or whatever, and then, you know, kind of do the, the, the sneak attack thing. So how did you guys sort that out? Of course. Uh, as I already said, it, it wasn't any kind of organization in that, uh, in that trading thing. Uh, so uh, it was uh, most of the time based on uh, what the trade of, Word on the street. Yep. If you need something, it was, uh, uh, your chances to get that were uh, based on word on the street. So you just look for any kind of usable information. And after you get that information, then you need to go and check that information. So never go alone to check that information and never uh, take too much stuff. So if you, if you are carrying, uh, candles, take few candles. If you are carrying uh, some kind of food, very small amounts of food. First, talk with that person. See what kind of man he is. If he can you trust him. After you finish some kind of negotiations with him, then you're gonna check. Uh, then you're gonna uh, uh, put some kind of place in town. Negotiate some kind of place in town or in street when you, where, where you are going to exchange that stuff. And I never, I never trade anything inside my house or, or in front of my house. I never. Or speaks with people who are gonna going to trade, uh, uh, so they can see uh, where is that stuff that I have. So always out of your house, always out of your street. So reason is that maybe some of them uh, gonna think that you, you have a lot of that good stuff inside your house. Um, from what I've read of your postings and all, it seems like there was, if you had to go somewhere, you, you, you use darkness, go out at night, right? So one of the things I've always thought is very useful to have, uh, to deal with a breakdown is night vision equipment. I, I imagine there wasn't a lot of it there. It's a lot more, uh, available now, but would you say that would be a, a huge, 
uh, advantage for someone to have night vision equipment? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, in, uh, whenever I talk about this and, and, and write about this, I always uh, mention that uh, you need to, to keep uh, simple and low profile when you are preparing for this. But yes, I must, uh, I must, I must admit, if I had that night vision, because it, it, it would be such a, such a good thing that time. It would help me so much. The answer is yes, of course. Um, I, I guess a, a, another uh, belief that, that people seem to have is that um, if you have society fall apart, there'll absolutely be no uh, no no authority whatsoever. Like it, it there there there'll be no police or, or what have you. I, I imagine that was true for a time. How did that get reestablished? What was you know what I mean? So, like, people will, will rob because there's no no one's to come to take them away, uh, arrest them, or put them in, in jail. D- did it? And did that? Did that just happen in some areas, or did it pretty much happen everywhere? Uh, actually, it, it, it's not so simple. It's a little bit complicated, but at the end, it comes to the same. Uh, uh, when I say, uh, and when people say that. Uh, uh, all kind of society going down, no, no any kind of law and stuff like that. Actually, you want to have uh, in a very small region, uh, like city, for example, you want to have uh, 30 or 40 or even 100 groups, and each of the groups going going to claim that they are the law. So each of uh, you can count that uh, members of each of that group going to come to your house with statement. I don't know. We are. We, we need to take food from you because of the cause or whatever, or we want to, to recruit you because of the, this or because of that. Actually, that absence of society means that uh, there's going to be hundreds of groups that they are claiming that they are the society, actually, or law. So, <laughs> so that brings up a whole new level of uh, of danger that. So you would have people that would um, use false credentials, but I would imagine some of the actual people with true authority were fairly dangerous as well. Uh, True authority, in my uh, case, true authority were really down. I mean, you can't, I couldn't mistake that. I see that clearly that true authority is down, but uh, uh, it was chaos. So yes, all kind of people claim that uh, they have they they had authority, but you, you can clearly see that they are simple gang, just mm. gang who claim that they are the actually new government, new law, or revolutionary guard, or you can call them whatever they call themselves, on lots of different names. But in reality, it's a gang. But uh, people expect uh, that gang is looking like gangs from the movies, you know. Uh, in most of the situation, no, they are not looking like that. Actually, they are looking like they are trying to to, to build something. You know. Yeah, yeah. So when things started to be somewhat put back together, structure started to come back in. What were some of the first things that had to be done in an attempt to restore order and? I imagine it didn't happen like one day it's chaos, the next day it's 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 back to to some semblance of order. It was like a transition 
So can you talk about what that was like? Well, yes, actually, uh, that kind of transition. I mean, first period was was some kind of you can compare it with Wild West uh, because uh, uh, in my case, uh, international troops were came and and forced forced all kind of different sides to sign truce. But on the uh, in real life on the terrain, uh, all kind of hundreds and hundreds different groups. They didn't want to, to break with with their kind of with their kind of life because they like that kind of life. So uh, uh, truth needs, needed to be fought with brute force. And for months after that, there used to be all kind of groups hiding in some kind of region somewhere that and they are not uh, they are telling telling that there are some kind of outlaws, something like Wild West. It maybe lasted for maybe even for a year. Could go freely in some some regions because if you're driving car in some kind of in some region country, you can you could expect that not only from the woods jump like ten or fifteen guys jump out with rifles and rob you. It lasts for a year almost. What's 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 it like today? I mean, from what I've seen, it it's probably the people. Their belief systems and things have changed, but it looks like society is relatively stable in in, in the region today. Um, is there still some, you know, things left over from the conflict uh, as far as the way people interact with each other, or is it business as usual? Uh, it is complicated, but if I compare the state from before the war, I can say that before the war, this region looked like. Well, almost any other, like almost any other region in Europe. And after the war, this region again will look like some regions in the world where where you have like 50% of unemployed, 45% I think of unemployed people, and you still have uh, some kind of hate and rage that's uh, lying under beneath the surface. So you can feel that, you can sense that, and you, uh, where you uh, when you Add all of this bad economic situation to all of this. Yeah, it looks like it's going to explode again. I mean, on the surface, looks good, pretty much like any other modern modern state in Europe, I guess. On the surface, but beneath, it looks like it's going to explode again. But it's nothing, nothing. Uh, I can compare economic situations. I don't know, Greece maybe, bad. Mm. And on that bad economic situation, add all of that legacy from the war, hate and rage, and a bunch of missing people, killed people, revenge thing. I guess when a region has been through something like yours has, that the potential for a second breakdown and for it to get really bad really fast is actually higher because the soft people are gone. Right, is the hardened people that made it through that already have already dealt with a situation like this, and if it degrades again, you have experienced people, right? Instead of like in Greece, uh, there's not a whole lot of guns owned by the society. Um, they haven't had any major conflict on their soil in you know since I guess parts of World War II maybe. Um, but in, in your your society, if things start to go wrong, then they're going to probably go wrong faster? 
Well, yes, definitely, uh, because of multiple reasons. Uh, I mentioned already uh, that army of, of people that they just wait for some for collapse uh, so they can go out and do their things, robbing and everything. And, uh, of course, in this region, after the war, there is a lot of weapons hidden everywhere. And I guess there is a group great percent of people who, who want that, actually. Yes. True. But on the other side, you have you have young generation who actually do, don't know, don't remember that that, that whole event, that period, that war. And you have some people who want to lead that young people again, just like that lead young people in my time. And everything stuff. Yeah, pointing circles, I guess. So you have a website, um, it's shtfschool, or shittatthefanschool.com, and uh, can you tell folks a little bit about that, uh, what, they, what they'll be able to find there? Uh, yeah, actually it is, it is a site about, uh, in short and simple, I wrote and, and, and speak about what happened to me, how I went through all of that, or what mistakes I did, how people get through all of that, my, my family, my neighbors, my friends, and what they can expect, not if, when that happened to them or to everybody. Because uh, I agree, we all need to be prepared, prepared to, I mean, material, whatever, whatever. but uh, we need to prepare our mindset for that, because there is a short period when, when collapse happened, I remember that from my time, uh, and it's up to the person of how he's going to react. His time of reaction is too long, he can get killed. He's something like too surprised uh, for that new situation that day. If he can uh, adapt very fast on that new situation, that, that's good, because I remember some folks who adapt very good to that situation. For new situation at the day went very good to all of that area. And other folks who couldn't adapt, who didn't want to adapt, most of them just died. So people, people need to, I think people need to read and curve uh, how was that in, in real life, how was that problem. Well, and you have a, like a course people can sign up for and take, right? Yes, yes, I have. I talk all of the stuff that happened to me inside that course. I mean, everything. In fact, I'm seeing you have like lists, things to, to stock up on, how to lay things out, how to set up your defense of your home. Uh, very, very intense stuff. And obviously, stuff we know works because you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I guess it works. Uh, uh, first part of that course, I can say it's, uh, what happened to me and how, how I went for all that. And uh, there's a part about uh, how am how am I prepared for the next time? Because I learned that some some things just not work. I mean, you can you can uh, agree with me, or people can agree with me, or say I'm uh, he's not right. I'm just writing how things were in real life, how things worked for me, and what works worked and what didn't work. What was uh, not useful for me at that time. 
I've got one final question for you. It's really kind of like uh, just an, an off-the-cuff question, like a personal opinion. Um, like I've had Fernando Aguirre, who lived through the economic collapse in uh, Argentina, and basically he spent the last uh, seven years of his life figuring out how to get out of Argentina. He wanted to come to America, but in the end he ended up choosing Ireland. And uh, have you thought about leaving, or have you just basically decided, I've lived through this hell and I'm going to stay here? And, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, I go, I, I went through all of the uh, stages of that go, and go, go or stay. I changed my opinions multiple times. Uh, right now, uh, I think that next time it's not going to be on some small region. And I'm with uh, myself here. I'm not talking uh, necessarily about war. I'm talking about collapse. Uh, and the reason it's not not necessarily important for that. The important thing is all going to collapse. Uh, and I think next time it's not going to be uh, uh, some small region or my country or Europe or whatever. I think that uh, all is going to something underneath. All is going to collapse. And so, yeah, pretty much it's not important where you are. I mean, in terms of geography, in terms of state, much more important how 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 we are prepared for that. Awesome. Well, I, I and I unfortunately I agree with you. I say unfortunate because I do think that the next major thing that we're going to deal with is going to be more of a global economic situation and. In some ways, I guess that if you're in a place where you're already organized and already know what to do, you might actually be able to make a better stand. And um, with that, I, I thank you for being with us today. Uh, and I definitely recommend that people check out your website. I will put links in it in today's show notes. The uh, course that Selco has, I believe, is $29. I'm pretty sure that's the number because I just bought it. And uh, I'd highly recommend to the audience that you check it out. And uh, I just don't think there's a substitute for learning from a person who's been through there. I know that uh, English is not your first language, so it was a little tough getting through this interview. Uh, but I appreciate it, and I thank you so much for being with us and sharing uh, with us what, what you dealt with in the real world instead of some type of Hollywood fantasy. So thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to talk. All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Selco, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
Revolution is 